Feel like you've watched all the things? Find even more to love with Xfinity X1, the ultimate entertainment experience. Catch live sports, they're back, along with more scores and more. With the Xfinity Sports Zone, the best sports entertainment experience. Plus, find all your streaming apps and more in one place with the award-winning voice remote. X1 makes entertainment simple, easy, awesome. To learn more, go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. that opening Ellen yeah I do I miss dancing to it do, do, do. Do, 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 do. that's the Skype call that's the Skype oh, voice that's oh on our intro. <laughs> <laughs> that's just what I associate with doing this now me that's too so but we, d- we do dance to both in a Conan O'Brien fashion <laughs> that's from the Simpsons only um, I may dance only <laughs> Hi everybody, welcome back to Murder in the Land of Oz. My name is Jess. And my name is Ellen. We haven't done that for a while, I just thought we would reintroduce so people knew who we were. Yes. Um, welcome to our almost 8,000 subscribers. I know, there's so many what? people. What? My friend, our friend Matt Siri put it into perspective for us by saying uh, a few weeks ago when we hit 6,000, like that's... Three Lyric Theatres, which is a massive theatre in Brisbane, filled with people listening to this podcast, which is terrifying. It causes me great anxiety. Definitely. Um, Thank you all so much for your response to our Tasmanian season. We had such a fun time looking at the cases down there to um, Helen's Ellen's, um, home turf. Home turf. Home turf. Temporary home turf. Or recent home turf. For now. Um, and now we are on to our first episode of our South Australian season. Yay. We have literally been looking forward to South Australia since we started the podcast. Because so guess much what? fucking weird shit happens down in South Australia. All the good, like, crimes that just make you go, huh? Why? I feel like I read this, uh, I think it's Salman Rushdie said that um, Adelaide was like a town from a Stephen King novel. Yeah. Which I feel like is just, you just go, and I mean, I've never been there, but my impression of Adelaide is that it's like essentially the upside down. <laughs> it's very boring. Oh, oh, really? Mm, there's really not much to do. Oh, well, there's I was literally just about to it's say, really like, maybe pretty. I'll move to maybe It's I'll really, to really pretty, but like when I've been there in the past, we've been like, so what do we do? <laughs> So we hate everybody from Sydney, Melbourne, and Adelaide is boring. No, no, I don't hate, I don't hate people in Adelaide. Okay. I don't really know anybody from South Australia. I still hate Sydney, by the way. I really uh, hate Sydney. Um, I, I am scared of everybody who got mad at us for saying we hate Sydney, so I'm, I'm <laughs> You're reassessing retreating. my opinion. Yeah. Um, well, so not housekeeping, but housekeeping. Uh, we got to let you know that we do have a Patreon that you can subscribe to. We do have Patreon and the content. We've got to do a shout-out. Oh, yeah, shout-out to our new subscriber. Patreon. Patreon. Who is our new Patreon? Jacob. Jake. Oh, my God, Jacob. <laughs> That's right. Jacob is our personal friend, and he also Jake. recently became a Patreon. Oh, bless him. Bless That's his little cotton socks. Bless thanks, Jacob. His, thanks, Jacob. Love ya. Um, 
So, yes, you can subscribe to be a Patreon. We will give you a shout-out when I remember. I No, I thought there was somebody after Jacob, so I remember Jacob, but we haven't recorded in so long. No, we haven't. It's been like yeah. a month. Cool. Um, we also have uh, Tea Public t-shirts. We have new ones with um, some of our, like, slogans, I guess. Everything um, that Jess has been like, that would be a great quote for a t-shirt, is now a t-shirt. Yeah. Uh, Botany Solves Crime. Speaking of, we oh, got... Oh, God. Yeah, I, I completely this. forgot about this. So we had someone reach out to us um, via the Instagram, um, and her name is Jess, and her um, Instagram handle is the Green Thumb, and she was telling us that she worked with Dr. Gordon Geimer, who basically, I'm going to say, like, helped solve the Alison Baden, the murder of Alison Baden-Clay. Yeah, for sure. Um, with his... Uh, botany work he um basically discovered like the six species in Alison's hair that basically determined that she was killed at home and Jess actually not me Jess but this other Jess works with Dr Gordon Geimer and played him the podcast episode and now around the the herbarium they call him the badass botanist so we've organised some T-shirts for them that say Botany Solves Crime. So I will be hopefully handing them over to Jess and to Dr. Gordon Geimer soon, which is so exciting. For He's sure, the best thing that has guy. happened. And he like was laughing at the episode and was very sweet and actually gave um, Jess his copy of the amazing book that we both read about Alison Maiden Clay as well by David Murray. So, yes. How exciting. Seriously, the, the most exciting reach. thing that has ever happened in my happened. life. It's so cool. I, I so screamed. Cool. Oh, um, yeah. We do also have some Mitlu. We have a Mitlu event coming up later in the year. When we've got more details, we will let you know. But it would be a chance for you to come and meet uh, Ellen and I. Or it might just be me. Or it might just be Ellen. I don't know. So uh, we will let you know. Could just be that. two cardboard cutouts. It could. Like a little microphone through them. It could be Zane holding up two photos. <laughs> it should be Zane. I know, right? Everyone needs to meet Zane. Okay, well, let's get crack a Yuck, that word's back. On, no, it's um, not. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Um, no, it's not. On our first Mitlu episode of the South Australian season, it's my turn to open Yay. this time. And I am going to be looking at the Truro Murders. Now, I, I know not, nothing about this, so I'm so excited. Neither did I. And the, um, we did have a suggestion. I will find um, – actually, I'll get Zane to look it up when um, we put the shout-out for what cases to do in South Australia. Someone recommended us doing the Truro murder. So we'll get Zane to look while we are recording, and then um, we'll shout that person out at the end. All right. So <laughs> let's get started. That person's like, it was me. It was me. We will, we will say your name. I promise. I promise. Okay. <laughs> So, late December 1976, 18-year-old Veronica Knight is shopping before going to Melbourne for the Christmas holiday. She had had a really troubled upbringing in her life. It was quite tumultuous because of, a dip- um, because of difficulties at home and she was really looking forward to her holiday. Her father was an alcoholic and her mother had died shortly um, after her birth. She was removed from the care of her father because he was too unstable to care for her, so she grew up in foster-slash-salvation army homes. She was held back in her education as well because of her rough childhood. So Veronica had been shopping with a friend and had been separated, and then she was never seen alive again. 
she was reported missing after 24 hours, but because of her desires of going to Melbourne, it was thought that she had hitchhiked. Um, so the missing person report got shelved and people basically stopped looking for her. She hitchhiked when she was going shopping with a friend? Yeah. She was just like, yo, I'm bailing. I'm going to just yeah. go. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. That sounds like something I would do. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't sound like anything that any human being would ever do. No. Okay, so 10 days later on the 2nd of January 1977, 15-year-old um, Tanya Kenny was staying with her friends after Christmas in Adelaide. When Tanya failed to return that night to her parents' house, um, they thought that she was basically staying over with a friend. Um, but after her not showing up for the, the next day, they began to worry and they contacted the police and she was never seen alive again. With the two, um, There were two disappearances, but the police uh, basically struggled to find a connection between the two girls. So then, 21st of January 1977, 16-year-old Juliet Makita is waiting for a bus after finishing work at her part-time job. She rung her parents to let them know that she was going to be home late. Um, when Juliet's father woke up the next morning uh, and Juliet wasn't home, he, was, he said in this interview that he was furious um, and because, you know, it was extremely out of character and he was just, you know, disappointed. So um, at midday... Uh, Juliet's dad rang all of her friends and all of the Adelaide hospitals in order basically to track her down and he couldn't. So he turned to the police and the police said to him, if I had a dollar for every worried parent whose child had gone out and had eventually come home, I would be a rich man. So they didn't end up taking the Makitas seriously at all. Oh, God. Sixth of February, 1977, 16-year-old Sylvia Pittman was waiting for a train at the Adelaide railway station. Uh, she basically was never seen. Uh, Sylvia's family reported her missing. They went to huge extents to find her. The seventh of February, 26-year-old Vicky Howell was waiting outside the Adelaide post office. She'd been in an un- unhappy marriage and um, had had quite a troubled life, and she was never seen again. Two days, she was never seen alive again, I should say. Uh, two days later, on the 9th of January, 1977, Connie, Ayur, oh, they call her Connie Jordan, but she did have a previous name. But um, so ni- 9th of January, 1977, Connie Jordan was in the city centre of Adelaide and that was her no- last known whereabouts. Three days later, 20-year-old Deborah Lamb was hitchhiking on West Terrace and that's, her la- that's been known as her last whereabouts. So that is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So that's seven women reported missing in a real... What was the time frame? So the last disappearance was the 7th of February. The first one was on... um, Come on, Word document. Uh, The first one was end of December, right? So like three months, basically. Oof, oof. Nothing to see here, though, no, folks. Nothing just to worry team about. Team runaways. Just, just team wor- runaways. No worries. Just gonna go hitchhike to Melbourne real quick. So you wait here in front of Supray. I'm just gonna hitchhike. I'm to just Melbourne. gonna hitchhike to Melbourne real quick. So then it stopped. After two months of women disappearing, it just all stopped. So for months on end, the parents of these missing girls lived in hope that their beloved daughters would come home or co- get in contact with them. Mick Makita, whose daughter Juliet. Um, had been missing, actually thought he had, he told this, it was so sad. He was, um, 
basically driving down a street, he saw this group of girls and he thought he saw Juliet and he literally got out of the car and started running and then realised that it wasn't her and he was like, I mean, thank God, like I didn't like grab her or something like that because how crazy would have I looked? Oh, but that's so heartbreaking. So sad. And I know you've spoken a bit about like how important it is to – get publicity for people that are missing because there's always people that are looking, you know, there's always people, Mm -hmm. there's always someone looking for this person and wondering if they're okay. So it's just Mm -hmm. crazy that even still now, like when people get reported missing, sometimes it's not taken, if it's not taken seriously by the public, then people are like, oh, she's just gone and, you know, no. Yeah, especially back in the day, you know, when you kind of had to try a lot harder to get a message out there about somebody going missing because obviously there was no internet or anything like that. Now we can share photos of missing people around the globe in seconds, but, you know, especially if somebody goes missing, getting getting at least an international or a, a national photo, like in a national newspaper or something like mm. that, within a relatively short time of the person going missing can be like make or break forever finding them. Exactly. So, we're going to jump forward to the 25th of April, 1978. Bill and Val de Thomas found what they thought was the remains of an animal while they were um, mushrooming in the bushland outside of a small town called Truro. So, Truro is about... Mm, It's never an animal. It's never an animal. And it's never a mannequin either. Um, (laughs) Truro is... It's never anything good. Um, Truro is 80 kilometres southwest of Adelaide. The 2011 census, it was counted that the population of Truro was a mere 395 people. So you could imagine how few people there would have been back in 1978. So Bill and Valda basically find bones, but they think it's just like a kangaroo or something. So they go home. And in the interview on Crime Investigation Australia that I watched... um, Basically, their son was like, look, mum had like a really restless night and she just had a feeling that something wasn't right and that they should go back. So she told her husband to return. And then they um, basically just to like, just to put her at ease that the, you know, the remains were of an animal. Um, And basically from where they were to where they'd found the remains, that was about an hour drive. Mm -hmm. So um, they went back to have a look at the remains. And upon closer inspection, they found a shoe nearby and uh, the remains of a foot inside the shoe. Oh, no. Kangaroos don't wear shoes. No, they do not. Um, They also um, find clothing and a skull nearby. So the police converge on the scene and they confirm that the remains are of a teenage girl. But due to the state of the remains, because it was out in the elements, people, uh, the police are unsure of like what the cause of death was and even how long that she'd been out there. Um, Mm. The terrain is quite harsh, so it could easily have been a situation that this person had basically come off the road like they'd gotten out of a car or something and gone walking and gotten disorientated and died of thirst because Mm -hmm. there's really nothing anywhere um around yeah and then the dental records of the remains confirmed that the remains are that of veronica knight who was the first victim who's the first Mm -hmm. girl that we talked about who went missing um so the discovery of uh veronica's remains basically get little to no public attention um over the preceding year um the number of girls that are reported missing in the Adelaide area decreases, but there's still, like, no way to connect. Well, the police don't think there's a way of connecting the disappearances of all the girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Detective Ken Thorson received a report from an officer within his um, division 
who believed that they had found a connection between the disappearances and that a pattern had started to emerge. With the new information, the police appeal um, to all of the families of the missing girls and the people that come forward to go public once again with the disappearance of their daughters is the Makita family. Um, so they went on TV, they went on radio, they went on a lot of public uh, publications, they went on newspapers, they went on Women's Days, Women Weeklies, basically just being like, if you know anything about what has happened to our daughter or to any of the girls that are missing from the Adelaide area, like, please come forward. But once again, no new information gets uh, put forward. So the trail goes cold once again. So then... Almost a year later, on the 15th of April, 1979, bushwalkers come across some more remains, which were only one kilometre away from where Veronica Knight had been found. Um, The difference between the two discoveries is that Veronica Knight was basically, she was found 100 metres away from Swamp Road. Now, the remains that they had found were that of Sylvia Pittman's. Um, So her body was actually quite a far bit more inland, so it wasn't as easy from it wasn't a lot of easy access from the road. So the person or however Sylvia's body got there, they would have been driven quite far in inland. Um, Yeah, it wasn't like they could just like come off from the road. Um, So with another body being discovered, it seemed obvious to the police to further investigate the bushland outside of Truro um, at the prospect of finding more victims. So it wasn't long before more remains were found. A skull was found on the opposite side of Swap Road, um, a fourth body had been found, so police believed that they'd found the dump site of a serial killer, basically. And this is when the media descended, and like the footage, I've, I've linked in, uh, well, I've gotten Ellen to link in the show notes this um, video of Crime Investigation Australia, which I all re- recommend you watching. But um, this was before, like the like the news had to be careful about what they showed and like how close that they could get. Um, on crime scenes and stuff like that. So you can, I will just warn you that you do see um, bones getting pulled up by policemen. It is quite real. Also, the, oh, no. the fashion choices of the police are quite real as well. Um, but the, um, yeah, it's quite confronting having to look at um, basically them digging up remains because they didn't obviously have cordoned mm. off areas back then, which is pretty yeah, wild. couldn't put up one of them tents. Yeah, no, definitely not. One of those blue tents. So um, the third and the fourth victims were found in quite an advanced state of decomp. Um, so police were relying on dental records as they did back then to um, identify mm-hmm. the remains of the victims. So the third and fourth victims were that of Connie Jordan and Vicky Howell. So the remains were all found partially buried um, and weeks go by and you know, the investigation starts to stall. So then the police start to, like, piece together a rough timeline, but they're puzzled as to, like, why the murders had just stopped. It's just stopped. Um, Yeah. So, and then they also found, like, there was quite... There was evidence of quite a bit of escalation. So, like, the... As we saw in the... As as you heard in the timeline that I read out, like, there was... And then there was quite a sporadic number of disappearances and then yeah, once again stops. Mm-hmm. Um, so among the thousands of leads uh, that police had begun to look at, um, they started to look at the death of former prison inmate Christopher Worrell. 
Now, Worrell fitted the profile of a violent sex offender and was actually killed in a car accident around the time that the murders had stopped. Um, Police appealed to the public and a few weeks later, a member of the public came forward saying that they knew the identity of the person uh, responsible for the bodies at Truro. So someone had heard uh, from someone else that someone had been raping and killing girls and then dumping them out near Truro. And the information was traced back to a man called James Miller, who had told this to Christopher Worrell's girlfriend at his funeral. Yep. Oh, Lord. Just a casual. My condolences, by the way. By the way. Um, So from the information that the woman gave, it pointed to James Miller and to Christopher Worrell. So Miller and Worrell met when they were in prison together. Miller had been uh, arrested for breaking and entering, Worrell for rape and breaching a two-year suspended sentence for armed robbery. After release, they formed a dominant-slash-submissive relationship and both lived and worked together. James Miller was infatuated with Christopher Worrell and would allow Miller to perform... um, uh, and Worrell would actually allow Miller to perform sexual acts on him while he read pornographically predominantly BDSM magazines. Oh, I don't like um, that. Worrell preferred women, um, so this relationship sort of ceased and they became sort of like a creepy brotherhood thing. No, they didn't. No. You don't, you're not like, and now we're like brothers. <laughs> um, so an undercover police... Uh, surveillance team tracked down James Miller and he was arrested and brought into the Adelaide police station. Um, Following uh, Christopher Worrell's death, uh, Miller had suffered uh, quite a depression and had become homeless. Um, He was adamant that he had nothing to do with the murders and then it slowly, um, he began to divulge the deep dark secrets of the Truro murders. So back to the top. Veronica Knight. So Knight had become, as I said, separated from her friend while shopping and accepted a ride home from James Miller and Christopher Worrell. James Miller claimed that they talked her into going for a drive into the Adelaide foothills. Worrell parked while Miller went for a walk. Returning to the car, he found Knight dead. Miller alleged that um, he angrily confronted Christopher Worrell who pulled a knife and threatened him. Worrell was in a black mood and wouldn't talk. Miller helped him dump the body at Truro and then they both returned to work the next morning. 2nd of January, Tanya Kenny. Miller and Worrell picked up Tanya after she had just arrived in the city after hitchhiking from Victor Harbour. They drove to Miller's sister's home and and James Miller sat in the car while uh, Christopher Worrell and Tanya went inside. Worrell later returned and asked for help, alleging an argument had occurred and Worrell had threatened to kill Miller if he didn't help. That night they buried Tanya Kenny at Wingfield in Adelaide. So mm. Juliet was waiting. Juliet Makita was waiting uh, at a bus stop after finishing work, as I said. Uh, Christopher Worrell had offered her a lift home and instead they had driven her to Port Wakefield. This time uh, James Miller sat in the car while Christopher Worrell tied her up. This behaviour was not unusual as it was Christopher Worrell's kink. So uh, James Miller thought nothing of it. James Miller alleged that he then went to take a walk but turned around after hearing a disturbance. Juliet was out of the car and falling to the ground. Christopher Worrell turned her over and began strangling her. James Miller claimed that he tried to pull Christopher Worrell off but he wasn't strong enough and that, again, uh, Worrell threatened to kill him. So... uh, Juliet's remains were buried at Truro. 
Um, so Christopher Worrell and James Miller then picked up Sylvia Pittman as she was waiting for the train. They drove her to the Wingfield area where um, James Miller once again claimed that he went for a walk and then came back to help dispose of the body. Um, when James Miller arrived at the post office on the 7th of January 1977, uh, Vicky Howell was already with Christopher Worrell. Uh, Miller went for a walk once again soon after returning and finding nothing untoward. He then took a longer walk. When he returned, um, Vicky was dead and Christopher Worrell was in a rage. Uh, James Miller claimed that he cursed and abused Worrell again, expecting to be killed himself, but um, Christopher Worrell said nothing and then uh, Vicky's body was taken to Truro. Um, so they picked up then on the 9th of February 1977, picked up Connie Jordans. Uh, Connie became frightened when they drove in the wrong direction. So James Miller stopped at Wingfield and uh, Christopher Worrell forced Connie into the backseat of the car while James Miller sat and did nothing. He left the car for a while and after returning, they drove to Truro to dump Connie's body. So obviously uh, it's hold bullshit on, hold that on, he was hold just on, like... Hold on. What? One more. Oh, no. Um, so Deborah Lamb was hitchhiking on West Terrace when she was picked up by James Miller and Christopher Worrell. Oh, okay. They drove to Port Gawler, um, which is where James Miller went for his one of his famous walks. And when he returned to the car, um, Deborah was absent and he uh, Christopher Worrell was seen pushing sand into a hole with his foot and it was later found out that Deborah Lamb was actually buried alive. Oh, no, that got a lot worse. That got a lot worse. So, um, yeah. Obviously, this guy wasn't actually just conveniently taking walks while any of this was going on, right? Uh-huh. Like, he had to have been there witnessing it and or assisting. Yep. That's such like, oh, yeah, I was there, but I didn't do anything, officer, really. I was terrified for my life. But he fully just, like, was, like, pushing everything onto... Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, to the dead guy. Um, so... James Miller remained adamant that he had nothing to do with the murders. No. Um, and, you know, he was like, I don't know anything. I'm not saying anything. And then when he was brought down to the cells, um, he said to office, the, he said to the officers, because at this point they'd only found, I think, four of the bodies. And mm-hmm. he's like, I'll show you where the other bodies are. Um, so then this was now solid evidence that they, that they could link and charge James Miller with the murders at Truro. So um, James Miller was driven under police escort back to Truro, five kilometres past Swamp Road uh, on the left-hand side, about one and a half kilometres up. James Miller got the police to turn into an old disused farmhouse and pointed in the direction of the remains. With it being dark and the, train, the terrain being as it was, it was obvious that James Miller was extremely familiar with his surroundings. Um, detectives then established the crime scene and Miller was driven back to Adelaide. James Miller then took the police to an isolated beach uh, at Port Gawler where they found the remains of Deborah Lamb. Um, it was just the one of the detectives in the um, Crime Investigation Australia episode was talking like the beach is like a series of tracks and you can get really easily lost. It's quite a labyrinth. Um, Mm-hmm. And he was like, if I went back there today, like, I would easily just get as lost as we were that first time. Like, it's such a weird oh area. Um, mm. As, uh, so, when they began the Sarah search, uh, a search of the beach, um, and then uh, James Miller then led police uh, to an area in Wingfield where 
they um, went to like a – it's called the Dean Rifle Range. So it's obviously somewhere where you go and practice shooting. Shoot guns. Um, and showed them where, the, where they had disposed of the remains of 15-year-old Tanya Kenny. Um, so when they found the remains of Deborah Lamb, um, most of the remains were actually still intact of Deborah's and her clothing was still intact as well. And the, they were able to sort of partially identify her because of a locket with two small children that was found on her remains. Um, it was almost dawn that day when James Miller was formally charged with seven counts of murder and he pled not guilty because that makes sense. Yeah, sure. Whatever, buddy. Um, okay. So at James Miller's trial, he revealed a terrifying story that James Miller, like him and Christopher Worrell, would cruise around the cities every night in um, his car and they would look for women that Christopher Worrell could have sex with. Worrell was described as like 23, he was charismatic and good looking and he had no troubles like picking up girls for local, um, picking up girls in the local area for casual sex. Miller would then drive um, Worrell and these girls to a secluded place where where Christopher Worrell would have sex with them, often after tying them up, where James Miller would apparently wait outside and then Mir- uh, Miller would drive them back into town and drop them off. He described how the pickups became more and more terrifying. First, Worrell started occasionally, I hate, ugh, occasionally raping women who refused on his advantage, oh advances, and then that's when it escalated to murder. Um, James Miller was unaware that mur- that the murder. Uh, he said that the murder would occur. Um, he was unaware that the murder would occur. Idiot. Um, Whatever. Um, he stated that it only happened sometimes and not others. It appeared that as the violence um, increased, that James Miller became increasingly more terrified of Christopher Worrell. Miller maintained, they can give me life for knowing about the murders and not reporting them, but they charged me with murder. It's a load of bullshit. Verbatim. Following the trial, um, one of the jurors hired a lawyer to petition the Attorney General for a retrial. Um, South Australian... Chief Justice Len King agreed that Miller should be granted another hearing on the grounds that the judge at his trial, Mr. Justice Matheson, had instructed the jury to find Miller guilty of murder. However, the Attorney General, Christopher uh, Sumner, uh, refused to grant a retrial. Legally, Miller argued that he never engaged in any of the murders directly, nor did he explicitly agree prior to going out cruising for women that uh, he would support Worrell in the murders. Nevertheless, he was found guilty of murder because he was found to be part of a joint criminal enterprise. He was present at the crime scenes, assisted in disposing of the bodies, and this created a subsequent uh, this created subsequent legal difficulties over the definition of a joint criminal enterprise. But these have largely been resolved on the basis that this was a special and a particularly horrifying case. But he also like facilitated the murders happening in the first place because he was the one driving them exactly, around. and he didn't stop. Like, and that's he what knew we talked. What was happening? That's what we talked about in the um, Brisbane lesbian vampire killer case. Like yeah. even though those girls didn't participate in the murder, that they didn't actively try and stop. Mm. They didn't try and stop it. They they assisted in it occurring, yeah. even if they didn't, you know, actually do anything themselves. I do think that. I mean, I believe that he was lying, and he probably had more to do with it than he let on Mm. but even taking that all that aside he was still an accomplice so on the 12th of march 1980 james miller was found of six counts 
um, of murder, but not of the murder of the first victim, Veronica Knight. For his part in each of the murders, he was given six life sentences with the parole period um, coming up, it was coming up in 2014. He spent 28 years in Yatla Labor Prison before dying of cancer in 2008. Nikki Lamb, the daughter of victim Deborah Lamb, said she was advised within minutes of Miller's death um, at around 10 p.m. and called his death a massive release. She said, there will never be an end because I don't have my mother, but it is an end to a dark chapter and the beginning of a new one. He maintained up until his death that he only helped bury the bodies and all of his recollections pointed at Worrell. He wrote a book, which I think is the most yuck thing I've ever heard in my entire life um, and is so disrespectful to all of the victims and all of their families. Um, Mm -hmm. And he... and. He just in his book he described himself with such like physical prowess that he could like take down any bully and it's like well if you're gonna brag about that shit obviously you had more to do with these murders than yeah but he said that he tried to pull Worrell off one girl but couldn't so obviously he wasn't that obviously strong. you weren't that strong mate but in the end seven girls were brutally taken and murdered and they had families yeah. that cared about them and. Yeah. As far as I'm aware, no one gives a shit about James Miller. So, no, nobody ever will. Um, here's here's something that makes me furious from this case. Apart from everything, you said that sometimes they would pick up girls and murder them, and sometimes they wouldn't. If the police or if there had been more publicity about the girls who had gone missing, yeah, just being some like, of those girls who were picked up by James and you know Worrell, they would be able to recognize who they were exactly or they would be able to be like wait a second i was picked up by two guys and they tied me up and it was really similar to this case of this girl that went missing i should go to the police you know if there was any kind of publicity or anything like that this probably could have been solved a lot quicker yeah definitely and warrell could have faced some justice because you know he got off scot fucking free because he died so yeah horrific absolutely horrific um that's heinous i i'm worse off for knowing about this crime yeah and the, at the end of the Crime Investigation Australia, um, one of the detectives was like, if you want to understand, like, this case, he's like, drive from Adelaide to Truro and you will understand mm-hmm. why Christopher Worrell and James, like, they, this was, like, fun for them. This was game for them. Like, it is a, he's like, mm-hmm. it is a long way to drive out to Truro. They knew what they were doing. Yeah. Like, they weren't. It was part of yeah. it. They were not fucking around. And he's like, if you think that, yeah, nah, cooked. Absolutely cooked. Um, Good episode. We need to shout out to Heath. Heath. Heath, thank you so much for suggesting Truro. Um, I am the worst off for knowing it, but I'm glad that we could tell the stories of those poor girls. Um, Once again, I want to say their names again because they are more important than James Miller and Christopher Worrell. And I don't like how many times I said the names James Miller and Christopher Worrell. So makes you feel better. I couldn't remember what Christopher Worrell's name was (laughs) that whole time. So Deborah Lamb, who was age 20 and disappeared on the 12th of February, 1977. Connie Jordan, who was 16, who disappeared on the 9th of February, 1977. Vicky Howell, who was 26 and disappeared on the 7th of February 1977. Sylvia Pittman, who was aged 16, who disappeared on the 6th of February 1977. Juliet Makita, who was 16, who disappeared on the 21st of January 1977. Tanya Kenny, who was 15, who disappeared on the 7th of January 1977. And Veronica Knight, 
who was 18, who disappeared on the 23rd of December, 1976. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. Their families would still be alive. They would still miss them. Exactly. They were missed. They were loved. They had lives and they were important. And I hope in whatever realm that they are, that they knew that people were looking for them and people cared about them. Mm -hmm. And I hope that we learn, you know, historically from cases like this that any person that goes missing needs to be treated it needs to be treated as worst case scenario from the first minute because you know the consequences if it turns out they were just hitchhiking somewhere you know the consequences of looking for them are a lot worse yeah um I also just want to bring up because we haven't talked about it and this is coming out a couple of weeks after it happened but we should also Mm -hmm. talk about um just a little bit to finish off about the murder of Courtney Heron in Melbourne. Mm -hmm. Um, Once again, absolutely furious that, Mm -hmm. I don't know, I don't want to get too upset about this, but um, it's so tragic that this keeps on happening. And then stemming from that, the data sheet that was released where this person has detailed like step by step of different locations in Melbourne for you to like find a target it's what, that's what yeah, they referred to, like find to, women. to find women and to like interact, well, not to interact with them, but to, you know, to hit on, to women, hit on basically. women, basically to, to do like, it, it's like a pickup artist. Thing. Yeah. Um, absolutely abhorrent. And the murder of Courtney mm-hmm. Heron is completely disturbing. And I'm so happy in the, in the response to this, that the police were like, okay, this isn't it's a, about men's behavior, yeah. This isn't yeah. a woman's issue anymore. This is about men's issue because she was brutally murdered, and it didn't matter mm-hmm. her living situations. It didn't matter her past. This no. girl's life was taken away by some mm-hmm. psycho, who I'm not even going to name because guess what? I don't even know it because her name is more important. Mm-hmm. Um, you are allowed. I think the no, no, you go. Sorry, you go. You go. Back. Oh. All I was going to say is that um, to all my lady loves out there, if you were feeling scared and if you were feeling delicate about these situations, you were totally within your justification too because I, every time I get off public transport, every time I walk out the door at night, every time I leave work, I feel just as terrified as you do. So you are mm. well within your rights to feel scared. And I want all of the men in my life to stand up and to call out this bullshit because I'm so sick of it. I'm so sick of this complacency because mm-hmm. women mm-hmm. keep on dying and it's just shit. <laughs> it's not on. No. I think that the response from the community has been really, and I mean by the community, I mean like the Australian public has been really positive about um, Courtney's death because, you know, she was sleeping rough. She did have a past, but apart from one like daily mail or daily telegraph article or whatever, everybody's been really, really respectful about her. Um, She's had family. She had friends that still cared about her. um, And nobody has kind of treated her as less than she was, which was a human being. So I think that, that, that is a big change. That is a difference that we can see from, you know, 1977 and a lot of the other cases we've covered where, you know, certainly blame was put on victims or they were never spoken about or things like that. We, we have changed. Yeah. Um, we're never going to be able to stop crimes from happening entirely, but we can change our response to them. And I think Courtney's death is an example of a positive public response. Definitely. And hopefully we don't have to mention any more names this year. No, thank you. Because that's, that's 20 women since the start of the year. Yeah, 20 women this year. That have been murdered. 
fucked. So that's not good. Um, <laughs> okay, well, there was our first episode of the South Australian season. Uh, Yay. Starting off with a bang. Starting off with a bang, obviously. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at Murder in the Land of Oz. You can find us on Facebook at Murder in the Land of Oz. You can send us an email at murderinthelandofoz at gmail.com and send us suggestions of cases because we've got South Australia and then what, Western Australia? Western Australia. Oh, my God. Very excited. Um, we are coming up on our one-year anniversary of Mitlu, which is so exciting. We'll be past it. When this we'll comes out? By the time this comes oh, out. Happy yep. one-year anniversary, Ellen. I love you so happy much. Happy one-year day. And we all happy love you. Um, make sure you head to Tea Public to get some rad T-shirts. Um, the best T-shirt, I think, is from a Patreon episode. So you should all get on Patreon because apparently we're really funny over there. Um, where uh, the quote is, where can I get me one of them Jim Jones communist monkeys? And Ellen, that was you that said that. Was yeah. it? I have no recollection whatsoever. It was you. I listened to the episode. Okay, good. Oh, God, I'm so funny. I'm so I wish funny. I could remember any of the jokes I make. All righty. Well, thank you so much for listening, guys. We'll see you in a fortnight. So, what should I listen to now? We are Castology. This is our podcast about podcasts. We are your castologists, Patrick Shearer, Liz Best, and Zainty Weber. Each week, we'll bring you three of the best and sometimes not so best podcasts around. We'll also do the hard work and trawl the RSS feeds to find the newest podcast that should be on your radar. And then next week, we come back and tell you what we thought of the recommendations and bring three new sparkling podcasts to check out. Now, will we always agree with each other's picks? Probably not. But hey, you're clever. You know that's how reviews work. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or any podcatcher of your choice. That's not kind of productions podcast. Right now, switch your family to T-Mobile and get four lines for $25 a line with auto pay and 5G access included on America's largest 5G network. So don't wait. Get unlimited and nationwide 5G access for the whole family for just $25 a line. Visit a T-Mobile store or T-Mobile.com today. Plus taxes and fees. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using over 50 gigs a month due to data prioritization. Video at 480p. Unlimited while on our network. Qualifying credit. Four plus lines required. Capable device required for 5G. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain features. Ctmobile.com. Now that we're getting back on the road, the stops we make seem more special than before. Stop to see a friend. Stop at your favorite store. Stop at the places you missed most. And to keep you going between those stops, there's Shell. Stopping to fill up with our best fuel ever. Save with the Fuel Rewards Program. And to get snacks and essentials that can save you even more at the pump. That's just a few of the ways Shell helps you make the most of the stop you need to make. See full terms and conditions at fuelrewards.com.